0: Hi, I'm talking today with Robert Lyle, automotive instructor at Westbury High School in Houston, Texas. Robert, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Tony.
0: Nice to have you here. We've been talking to a number of individuals in the educational community for a variety of reasons lately. Uh, The most obvious being how they're adapting to the new reality during the COVID pandemic and preparing for the reopening of the program as we move into fall. The automotive service industry, as you know, is concerned about the shortage of technicians, and we look to the educators to provide us with the talent we need for tomorrow. I'd like to talk with you today to get the perspective from the high school level and get some insight into what you're doing, what you need, and what we may be facing. So let's begin by talking about what Westbury High School is doing to reopen and how things are going in your area.
1: So currently, Houston Independent School District delayed the start of school until after Labor Day. A lot of Texas schools started this week or will start next week, so we have delayed till after Labor Day. They have deemed that we're going to do our first six weeks virtually. Obviously, with being a CTE course where there's a lot of hands-on and automotive technology, that kind of hinders us on the lab side of things. But with that, our district had been forward-thinking for a while. We are one-to-one on laptops already at the high school level. So all of our high schoolers already had a laptop. We, on the automotive side, had already gone to a digital textbook. So everything that we had been doing, we were already utilizing technology in a way that kind of makes this a little bit easier for us.
0: That sounds like that was pretty well timed. You've been moving to a virtual digital format for a while now. What have the students experienced in virtual learning to help them cope with the current situation?
1: Using is SinGage's version of the the automotive technology textbook, mm-hmm. which is through the National Geographic web website. It's pretty much the same thing as SinGage MindTap on the college side. Okay, so we had been utilizing that. So the kids had already knew how to log into that system. They already knew how to get to the lessons. The only thing I think that they kind of had a learning curve with, and we all kind of did, was using Microsoft Teams to kind of log into the lessons. The biggest obstacle during the spring semester, at the end of last year that we had was just figuring out who had internet access at home and who didn't. I know a lot of people don't think about, Oh, everybody's got internet at home. Well, no, not in the inner city. And so there were a lot of good things that came about, about that. Uh, I believe Xfinity or Comcast opened up all their hotspots. A lot of internet providers in the city of Houston opened up their hotspots. So as long as somebody in the building had internet through that company, you could find a hotspot normally. Some of our kids already had hotspots issued through Title I programs that we had at our school. So, again, the biggest overcoming was just making sure we could get a hold of the students and get them to understand where where we were going. Now that we've already done six weeks like that in this in the spring, I'm anticipating coming into the fall here as we get going that it's going to be a little bit easier of a transition for the kids, at least for the high school kids. I, I know it's going to be tough for the elementary and junior high kids still, But the high school kids have had a six weeks of this under their belt. And so I think going forward, the biggest obstacle that I'm going to fight is probably either getting the kids to tune in live versus watching a recorded lesson. And part of that is going to be with having an inner city school. Some of our students are going to take this chance to go work hours that they normally wouldn't work, or they may have to be taking care of a younger sibling and helping them through their schoolwork and then they might have to catch up later that evening on their own schoolwork.
0: There are those types of challenges out there from, for some families, for sure. Uh, it's particularly hard on those already struggling with child care if they are fortunate enough to still be working. How are you handling the lab requirements? Do you have any process for doing any face-to-face learning to provide the hands-on components of the training?
1: The plan at this point is that after our first six weeks, which will end about the middle of October, is that we're supposed to go back face-to-face. Now, depending upon where we're at with the pandemic and everything, we may have it to where only a certain number of kids are in a classroom <laughs> at a time. It may expand, I believe right now, the state of Texas is saying 10, to 15. So it's it's a matter of where are we at in October with this and how many kids will be allowed in our facility at a time. One of the things that we're still exploring that I've requested and, and we're still working on the, the detailing behind it is asking for me to have access to my shop and lab scenario to where I can film a hands-on portion of me doing something with like a GoPro or have one of the other auto tech teachers film myself while I do something. And then again, we can switch it around where I film him while he's teaching his class. I have three instructors in our automotive program at Westbury. So having three instructors, we can kind of share the responsibilities of filming each thing, each segment. But right now at the plan of things, if it goes to what we're planning, we're gonna do a lot of getting our safety certifications out of the way at the beginning of the year, in the first six weeks, getting, The majority of whatever piece of information that we're talking about that first six weeks, depending upon the level of the course, whether it's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, we're going to probably front load the theory portion of it and hope the shop will be open in October so that we can do our hands-on labs.
0: Has this affected curriculum at all? It doesn't sound like it has. You'd be doing the theoretical and hands-on anyway. It's just structuring it. But have you had to adjust the curriculum at all to accommodate the new reality?
1: Uh, I did a little bit in the last six weeks. We were going over ignition with one of my groups. And at that point, we were locked out of the school. So the nice thing is, is at least at my house, I have a number of different various options of ignition systems on the vehicles that I have in my driveway. Mm -hmm. I have a 63 Nova that I can show them points and condensers on versus all the way to I can show them coil-on-plug on a vehicle. So I was able to at least adapt the lessons to what I had on hand. I was Luckily, I had a spare distributor sitting out and a coil from older stuff. So I was able to actually show them the mechanical portions of it through a video and explain the actual timing dwell, what makes that occur, and then now how that progressed to the computer controlling all of that and then know know where to go with the scan tool to find where all that information is basically transmitted back to us through the scan tool. Some of the students wanted to be there with me live, and I told them, I said, I understand. I said, but this is what we've got right now. We're going to have to work with what we've got. You guys need to do the simulations online and stuff like that. But if you have questions, obviously, I'm I'm here to answer them.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I'm guessing that 63 Nova is your favorite ride.
1: Well, it's actually in restoration mode right now. So luckily, you know, everything was kind of there. The other thing I had was a Chevy 350 engine that was torn down in my garage that goes in a dirt track car. So I was able to show them mechanical timing on that engine at the same time. So I used what I had. And luckily enough, I had those things laying around in my garage. Some auto tech teachers have that luxury. Some don't. It all depends on what we're into, right? Yeah. So like you said, you adapt to what you have. I adapted to what I had in my possession and kind of went from there.
0: I think we call that pivoting. (laughs) Uh, Let's shift gears a bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become an automotive instructor? What's your background?
1: Well, my background actually started at the high school I teach at. So I graduated from Westbury High School in 2000. Right as I had graduated, we had just finalized our first NATEF certification in 99 I was our first student placed into the old AES model, mm-hmm. and I went to work for a Chevrolet dealership as an intern. And from there, I went on, graduated from from Westbury, went to San Jacinto Junior College or Community College out in Pasadena, and went through their General Motors ASET program, graduated top of my class, and actually started talking amongst people in terms of well, what else is there past an associate's degree for automotive technology? I graduated with a 4.0 at a junior college, so it was not saying that the stuff was simple to me, it was I grasped it very well. Mm-hmm. And so got talking and found out that Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas had offered a Bachelor's of Science in Technology with emphasis in service management. The dealership that I worked for at the time, the owner worked at Alan Samuels Chevrolet, Alan Samuels himself met me in a promotional AS video and walked up to me and he said, I heard you're looking to go to to a four-year college. And he actually paid for the other two years of my school to go to Pittsburgh State and get that bachelor's of science and technology. After graduating, I moved and worked for one of his Dodge stores for a little while. From there, I went and worked for Mazda North American operations as a district service manager Mm. in the Houston region. Then 2008, and the auto crisis kind of hit, and about February of 2009, there were some layoffs through Mazda as they bought their shares back from Ford. I was in one of the layoffs, went to work for one of the Mazda dealerships that I called on, and then a couple years went by, and my high school automotive teacher called me and said, How do you feel about teaching? I don't want our program to fall by the wayside. Like some of the CTE programs do when an instructor retires and they can't find a replacement. Mm. And so I said, you know what? My wife at the time was a teacher and still is a teacher. Uh, She teaches elementary school. And so I said, well, that'll give us a chance to kind of be on the same schedule, both have summers off and have spring breaks and Christmas breaks. And I won't have to deal with the rigmarole of a retail side of the automotive industry. So I took on the challenge and taught with him, my high school automotive instructor, who was a mentor to me in high school and after still is. He had been teaching 35 years for Houston. Uh, his name is Michael Falsone, And so taught with him for four years. He retired. We hired in another instructor from industry that we knew together. And then from there, the automotive program continued to grow to the point where our administration felt that we needed a third automotive instructor to handle the load of students coming through our program.
0: Wow, that's great. How long have you been with Westbury High?
1: So this is marks my 10th year.
0: What sort of program does Westbury High offer? The program's accredited by the ASE Education Foundation, right?
1: That is correct. We're accredited in MLR However, we go a little bit past MLR with our business and education council. They've requested that we do a couple other things that are above and beyond MLR in terms of actually removing suspension components, teaching alignments, um, getting into scan tool diagnostics a little further, Mm -hmm. things that go just a little bit above MLR. But our program ultimately starts off as freshman year in our principles of transportation class which is kind of a freshman level overview class of the transportation industry. From there, they'll go into automotive basics as a sophomore from there. Then they go into the auto one class, which is junior year. We double block that class. So it's two periods of their day. Mm -hmm. So we end up seeing them an hour and a half every day. Obviously with more time, we can do more labs. Mm -hmm. And then senior year we do auto two with the auto two program. We've followed the old AS model in terms of, trying to get the seniors between our junior and senior years, the students that are truly interested in pursuing this as a career, not just a job or, hey, I want to just make some money because I'm a high school kid. The kids that are truly planning on pursuing this as a career, we try to get them to get into an internship between their junior and senior year. And the idea behind that is that summer between those years, they get to experience the real life world of the automotive industry and the retail side of things. Currently I'm mostly working with dealerships. I do have a couple independent shops that have hired some of our kids in the past. Discount Tires hired some of our kids. Places just to get them in to to understand what the real side of the automotive industry is kind of like. After that summer, we kind of sit down and have a, a recap meeting. And unfortunately this summer, I didn't get to really place anybody of our juniors. So I'm hoping that as we roll out of this, Obviously, the dealerships are going to kind of recover as much as they can and then start replacing some of their staff that they may have had to furlough in terms of the dealership side of things. What we try to do is make it to where the students, if they're serious about it, we want them to get all of their academics done as early as they can in terms of stay up with your classes, don't fail any, don't put any off to where at the end of the day, they can have off campus periods Mm
2: -hmm. and not have
1: to have a full schedule. So they would leave my auto to class as soon as they're done with that and head to their job. And so then they would be that kind of afternoon shift coming in that can help in quick lane if they need to, but also mentor with the main shop guys as well. If that would be an option at certain dealerships, it is at certain dealerships, it's not. So it's kind of, I work with what we have and go from there. I wouldn't say that every dealership treats every single one of my students the same. You know, it's kind of hard for me to dictate how they want to utilize the student on an everyday basis. I do explain to them, I said, look, if you are short technicians and you're trying to grow technicians, the way you don't grow technicians is you stick them on a quick lane and leave them there to rot. Yeah. And what I mean by that is not exposing them to new things. These are students that are interested in it, not some guy that just wants a job. So the more that you can feed that, hey, we trust you, come over here and we're gonna invest some time in you here while we have a slow or a break or every Wednesday or every Wednesday and Thursday, you're gonna go work in the main shop, every Monday, Wednesday, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Friday and Saturday, we need you on the quick link. Find a balance between those if we need to. Those are the things that we kind of talk about amongst ourselves in the dealerships. It's really what is it that you can do to help motivate these students to understand that they are valued. A lot of times younger, especially high school age kids get put in the lowest job. And as long as they don't make a mistake, they never get spoken to. It's only when they make a mistake, they're noticed. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things that I make it a point for all the service managers to make sure they go out there and have that relationship with that student and say, Hey, how's it going today? What have you been struggling with? What can we help you with? Things like that. And try to encourage them to understand that they're just as valued to the team as anybody else is because they're the future.
0: Absolutely. How successful are you? It sounds like most of your students go into internships at the local automotive dealers, although you did mention independent shops as well. How are the service managers and shop owners following through on that and making sure they're engaged with the young interns?
1: And The guys that are engaged are the guys that are coming to the business and education council meetings. They're the ones that are open dialogue with me that have my cell phone number that'll text me. Hey, I need a kid. Do you have anybody? You know, they're constantly asking me for information about who's the next brightest student that's coming up in the program. They're trying to cherry pick the best guys before they are ready to go in the shop. They're learning about those kids ahead of time. And so it's one of those things, for the most part, the dealers that I have that are engaged that understand the program and understand they've had success with a student. And I'm not going to say that every student's going to be a 100% success rate. We've all gotten into things sometimes that we realize, eh, this really isn't for me, right? Sure. And that happens. And I said, look, I'd rather you invest the time now as their high school student, than turn around and find a kid that you're going to invest in and sponsor through a college program or a technical school. And halfway through college or technical school, they realize this isn't what I want to do. And now you've invested in tuition and other things with this. You're investing in just hiring a student and filling them out and trying to see what works. The biggest thing that I fight is driver's license, mm. trying to work around that. I've had a dealer group that has figured out a way, I'm not saying necessarily around it, but they've created an intern position that's a summer internship position and it was approved through HR. Mm-hmm. That position is hired as a non driving position. So therefore, they're not allowed to drive the vehicles. And I don't really want my high school kids driving customers vehicles if I can help it. I don't want them to have to have that responsibility of I accidentally, you know, backed in and hit a pole in the dealership parking lot or I hit another customer's vehicle. Now I've damaged two vehicles. Mm-hmm. I've done that. I, you know, I was one of those kids that creased the side of a brand new van as a student at the Chevrolet dealership. Luckily we were able to to get the body guys to help us buff the paint and it wasn't anything major. But I don't want my students, especially if they're working at a BMW, Lexus, Mercedes dealership, something like that, and then they go damage, a, you know, a sixty, seventy dollars 70000 or more vehicle. So it's that type of scenario was a really interesting concept to it. Um, again, the moment that they turn 18, they do request that the student go and get their driver's license. But until then, it's kind of one of those things. It's in the state of Texas for a student to get their driver's license below the age of 18, I don't know how it is in every other state, but the the student has to hold their permit for six months before they can get their license. And a lot of times the issue that I've got is that I've got students that don't have money to pay for driver's ed and trying to get their parent to do home taught driver's ed doesn't really work because their parent's working all day. um, And so they can't get their drive time during the day and stuff like that where they're required to so it becomes this, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Well, if they can't afford driver's ed, how do we get them to be able to afford it? Well, they can't get the job because they don't have a driver's license. So it becomes this battle. And so what that dealer group has done has allowed us to get those students in. They start to make some money. And I tell them immediately, if they're a student that got hired without a driver's license, you need to start putting money away and get that driver's ed taken care of. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really interesting way of dealing with things. Yeah, Not all dealerships can do that. And I don't know about the independent side of things as much as I do about the dealer side of things. But hopefully being an independent, maybe that's a little easier to get around.
0: How many students do you typically have in a given year?
1: All programs at the high school level probably witness this there's some attrition throughout the years so basically freshman year we probably have about five or six classes of about 20 to 25 students as a freshman class Mm -hmm. and then that kind of goes down to maybe four or five classes as a sophomore and then from sophomore to junior year we go down to about three double block classes of about 20 kids so junior year is about 60 Senior year, I'm probably down to about 20 kids that are truly serious about pursuing this as a career. Mm -hmm. Do all 20 actually pursue it? No. Some of them will choose to go pursue something else. But for the most part, that's pretty much on basis what we're dealing with from freshman to senior.
0: By the way, I forgot to mention earlier, for those of you who don't know, MLR stands for Maintenance and Light Repair, which is the accreditation that Robert described for his program. And you would also mention that you're incorporating some more extensive training involving diagnostics as well. What are some of your biggest needs? For example, you had mentioned that your advisory council members have the pick of the litter, and that's actually one of the advantages of being an advisory council member in that you get to identify the best and the brightest students. These are the all-stars with a real passion for the business and the type of entry-level technicians all of us want to find. But a lot of programs say it's often difficult to attract advisory council members from local industry. What are the biggest challenges for the Houston area programs that you've seen?
1: The biggest challenge in the Houston area, I mean, I'm in a major Metroplex and where my school is located on the Southwest side of Houston, Mm -hmm. I've got two major freeway corridors that are lined with dealerships. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find places to place kids isn't always my biggest challenge compared to some of my other cohorts in the city where, where they're at is their dealership dry. So, They don't have a lot of dealerships around them. And so they do need to try to hit up probably in my opinion, a little bit more of the independent repair facilities in the area. I think that one of the biggest hurdles, I would say this is probably true for most automotive teachers, is when we go out, if we do get time to go and actually cold call on a store to find out if we can start bringing them into the program is a matter of, well, if I enter an independent shop and let's say it's managed and owned and ran by the owner a lot of times those owners are one of their techs as well and so it's a matter of how do i find the time to get him to be able to come over it's a difficult thing sometimes to get those guys to be able to pause from the business for a minute and come over is what i've seen in, in terms of the independent side of things you know if if you are struggling to find techs mm-hmm. in putting ads in whatever you know indeed or all the job placement places that are online now. If you're just putting odds out there and you're kind of getting the ho-hum response, try something new. Engage these high schools and these tech programs that are trying to train the next technician, because one, you know what has failed and what you need to see. What is it that you really want these students trained to be able to do? What do you need that entry-level guy that's coming into your shop to know how to do? Well, if you engage in the program and go to the business and education council meetings and speak your mind when there's open business or open items, or if they're talking about something, say, Hey, no, no, no. See what I've seen in the past is the guys that I hire off the street, they don't know how to rack a car properly. They don't know how to do this. They leave this loose. They leave that loose. They're a pig in their bay, right? They don't clean up after themselves. All of those things are things that we can teach to the students ahead of time And let them know that this is what the people that are wanting to hire you are telling us that you need to know. This isn't just the teacher knows best. This is these guys that own the shops Mm -hmm. or run the facilities are saying, this is what we're missing. The people we're hiring are missing this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. At the dealership level, I'm heavily on teaching electricity. Obviously, with everything that's going on in today's world and the number of hybrids and electric vehicles that are coming out. I try to get my students the best grasp of basic electricity that I can, because if they can understand the basics of electricity, as they progress, it will be easier to understand some of the higher technical skills required for electronic diagnosis. And that's me trying to stay up with it as well, right? As instructors, I can only teach what I know. Mm -hmm. And so I try to stay updated as much as possible. Unfortunately, we weren't able to have a lot of our in-person classes and there's been a lot of webinars out there. And so it's been a ton of information coming in over the internet. And I feel like one of our students, you know, getting logging in on Zoom meetings or WebExes or this or that all the time, trying to learn as much as I can. But it ultimately in the city, I think that in a major metroplex, the, the biggest thing is trying to find the time to go out and cold call in the dealerships or the independents, for that matter. It's trying to find a way to build that relationship with the actual employers, because to me, that's the biggest thing. The dealerships that obviously have the greatest success are the ones that have the biggest relationship with the school that they're hiring from.
0: Well, that's true, whether it's a dealer or independent shop. I know a lot of our ASA members do interact with their local CTE programs, and it's easy to find accredited CTE programs in your local area by simply going to the ASE Education Foundation website and searching by zip code, right? Correct. By the way, is your program both mechanical and collision repair or just mechanical?
1: Just mechanical. Uh, we don't have collision. We've discussed the possibility of including medium duty and light duty diesel, expanding the program in that direction. but none of us on this side of the of our of our program at this point, have had any uh, true collision experience. So expanding collision, we'd have to find definitely a whole, uh, another instructor that, that that could do that if we wanted to go that route.
0: Well, Robert, this has been very informative and I could probably go on all day, but I know you're busy. Do you have any last words for our listeners before I let you go?
1: For shop owners out there, invest in these young people's futures. These difficult times, we see everything that's going on, there are good students out there there are still kids that want to work hard and, and roll up their sleeves and are good solid students and so invest the time go find those students in your area and change your life because my life was changed by a dealer and an instructor that cared about me
0: Robert it has been a pleasure we've been talking with Robert Lyle the automotive instructor at Westbury High School in Houston Texas Robert, I want to thank you again for sharing your time with us today. It's been a great conversation, and we wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.